like that. Hello, one and all. Welcome to this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I will start this show off by apologizing straight up. I am, I am really sorry, okay, guys? I am really, really sorry we did not have a show on Wednesday. It was all planned. We literally talked about it on Monday. I was like, okay, we got the we got it scheduled up. We're like, okay, we're gonna we got all this thing. We talked about it on Monday. We're like, we got all this stuff planned today. We're gonna talk about this Wednesday. We're gonna talk about this Friday. And then it just all kind of fell apart because for those of you who are unaware, I moved house. I moved out of my parents' house and I am in an apartment now in this past few the past few days have been just crazy moving a bunch of crap around and then Wednesday had a friend over or a couple friends over to watch the Chicago Cubs versus the St. Louis Cardinals Tuesday night, Tuesday night. Had a f- couple friends over to watch Cardinals Cubs. It was the the day of the trade deadline and congratulations to Wills Contreras and Ian Happ. They are staying on the Chicago Cubs. It's one of the great it was one of the greatest moments ever. It was like, "Oh man, they're going to it was basically guaranteed that they were going to get traded. They were done. They were gone. Like they they had the emotional hug in the dugout. There was all the rumors, there was all the things like, "Yep, they're as good as gone." The last meaningful Contract negotiation with Will Contreras happened in 2017. Will Contreras cried in the locker room. He cried in the dugout. Ian Happ said goodbye to the left field fans. Waved goodbye, threw him baseballs and stuff like that. They were all emotional. It was done. It was done. It was the entire season that these two at some point, or at least Contreras, Happ, I don't think a lot of people expected Happ to maintain what he had towards the latter parts of last season into this season, which propelled him to becoming an all-star for the first time in his career. I don't think a lot of people were expecting that when the season started. And it was awesome. It was fun to watch. But then once he started getting good, you have a switch hitting outfielder that can also play in the infield somewhat. He used to play second base, but he can play everywhere in the outfield. Switch hitter with power, has power from both sides of the plate. That's a very desirable player. Very desirable. Can lead off, not necessarily the best leadoff guy in the world, but he can lead off if need be. Like, it was all set up to be traded. Contreras, when you look at the catchers around the league, you're like, oh, there's a pretty solid drop-off between the top catchers in the league and the lower-level catchers in the league. When you've got a team like the Mets, who are heavily linked with Wilson Contreras, and even the Padres to a certain extent, they didn't have the greatest catchers, the greatest catching duos in the sport. You have Thomas Nitto and Pat um, Mazzucata, I think that's what his name is, the backup catcher. They have James McCann, from, who is from the White Sox, but he's not playing that great, and he's been on the IL like every other week. Then you got the Padres, Austin Nola, who's dropped way off, and then you got Jorge Alfaro. Both of those teams are fine with catchers. They're not the worst catchers in the league, but you could definitely upgrade. When you have a guy like Wilson Contreras that is available, you want to trade for him. So when you see teams like that, it's like, okay, well, the Cubs, are they're going to trade him. They're going to train him. But I was sitting there with the mindset of what kind of player, I understand in some aspect, you're getting younger players. Will Contreras is 30 years old. There's a chance that he does not sign a new contract in the offseason. So you might as well have just given him away because you would have gotten something for him instead of losing him for, for nothing, which is what a lot of people are kind of expecting in this, this upcoming offseason. I am, for one, am going to be optimistic about this whole situation, which is rare for me. I'm usually a pessimistic type of fan. But I'm going to be optimistic here. I think he'll resign. But I understand where people were, some people, very low percentage of people, were out there saying they need to get things for him. But when you look at Contreras, what kind of players and prospects are you getting for Wills Contreras? What kind of players are you going to get back in return? You're going to have catchers that come through that you hope 
become Wilson Contreras. And when I'm talking about Wilson Contreras and what he is, it's not necessarily just the player. Yes, Wilson Contreras, the player, is a great player. He's a three-time All-Star starting catcher. One of the eight Chicago Cubs players to ever start three All-Star games. He's one of the greatest Chicago Cubs players of all time. So yes, the player itself would have been a huge loss. It would have been a huge, massive loss, losing someone with that talent level. But it was more of the leadership, the emotional connection that he had with the city of Chicago and the team in general, how much he's meant to the young players of this team. You saw what he did with Christopher Morrell. Like, Wilson Contreras is so much more to the Cubs than just a good bat or a good glove in the field. He's so much a strong arm. He's so much more than that than the to this team. If you're talking about the player, then yes, you can you can find players that can replace potentially replace Wilson Contreras. You cannot 100% guarantee that you're going to find players that replace the emotional side of things that Wilson Contreras have for the Chicago Cubs. That is where I had my issue with it. And when you have players like Contreras, like Hap, even going to last year like Baez, Bryant, Rizzo, these players didn't want to leave. This team, These players that we just brought up were a part of the core that won the Chicago Cubs the World Series in 2016. The first World Series in 108 years. First World Series appearance since the 1940s. Like this, those players did not want to leave. Chris Bryant won an MVP. Baez came second in the MVP voting. Chris, Anthony Rizzo was on a 100-loss team and then was on a 100-win team. He was Mr. Chicago Cub. My generation's one. I know Ernie Banks is Mr. Cub, but uh, for my generation. They didn't want to leave. And when you have an ownership group that just seemingly does not care, they are the third highest grossing team in baseball. The third. And they're running around acting like they have no money to spend unless it's on a shortstop. Because for whatever reason, they're linked to a shortstops. When Nico Horner has been arguably, apart from Contreras and Hap, the team's best player who's played very, very well at shortstop. And the thing that was the question mark around Nico Horner going into the season at shortstop was his arm. He has proved that tenfold that his arm is strong enough to play shortstop in the big league level. He came up as a shortstop, but it looked like he was going to move over to second base. Now, you can still do that, but what about Nick Madrigal? Nick Madrigal's not as versatile as Nico Horner. Horner can play third. Horner can play center field if need be. But then you also got Chris Morello who can play center and second base. So what is your big move here if you're the Chicago Cubs this offseason looking for players? Because they trade away all their relievers. Michael Givens got traded to the Mets. David Robertson got traded to the Phillies. And Scott F. Frost got traded to the Yankees. Their top three relievers are all gone. And their starters can't seem to stay healthy. So the bullpen is a mess. So when you have, like, I watched Keegan Thompson on Tuesday night against St. Louis Cardinals. It was kind of like, you're going to have to get shelled. We have no relievers. You're gonna get shelled, so you're just gonna have to eat it. Like it's, you're gonna, you're going to have to eat it. But in regards to the trade deadline for the Cubs, they didn't make any moves, but they made the move. I guess like, they didn't make the move, but they made a decision that counted towards the future of the organization. When you have a team that's is rebuilding, the Chicago Cubs are deep in a rebuild. You need players to build that team around. Happy Contreras are those players. And I think more so Contreras. Contreras is the face of the Chicago Cubs franchise. You need a player that emotionally connected with the team and the players to be your cornerstone of your franchise when you're starting this rebuild. You need players like that. You can't just trade them away just for the sake of trading players away. 
And the Cubs got some decent prospects. Decent ones like Matt Mervis is going to be coming up here in a little bit. You would imagine he's up at Iowa right now. First baseman. Canero's playing well. Pete Crow Armstrong's playing well. They got some nice pitching prospects. I say nice. They have some decent pitching prospects. Miguel Amaya, their top catching prospect. He had Tommy John surgery, so he's not going to be playing this year. But, man, the Cubs, man, it's, it's weird. It's a very weird organization. Very weird. You have players that want to stay. You have no real reason to trade these players because you're not going to get anything back that relates to what they mean to the city, what to mean to the team, regard outside of just being the player. You have players that want to stay. Keep them there. Keep them there, especially when they're as good as those players are. Now, if you look at the rest of baseball, there was a lot more that went on in baseball than just the Chicago Cubs, but that was the one I was paying attention to. And I, when I saw the lineup card drop with Contreras and Hap on it, I was like, oh my God, they're actually in the lineup. But then the the danger popped in my head that they're going to trade him before the game. Like Christian Vasquez for the Red Sox got traded before the game against the Astros, had to go to the opposite dugout. <laughs> they were playing the Astros, the team he just got traded to. Like it's it, Baseball is so weird like that. It, it is one of the more interesting sports in regards to the trades and the, the trades involved. Like you have Christian Vasquez who's on the Red Sox. They're playing the Astros. Before the game starts, he has to go walk over to the other sideline, the other dugout. Like, I remember when the Cubs traded all their players last year, They had a, the I-Cubs had a game the night before, and they didn't trade all their players until the trade deadline. Like, all the final pieces were gone. So there are players that played that night before, didn't know they were coming up to Chicago until the day of the trade deadline after they made the trades, and then for the next thing, they could be flying straight back the next night. Like, the ups and downs of baseball. Like you're in the minor leagues. Do not buy a house. <laughs> Do not buy a house. Because you can be moving today. You can be moving a week from now. And you could be going up. You could be going down. You could be doing whatever. You're going to be moving. You do not buy a house if you're in the minor league system. Unless you're one of those I-Cubs players from years gone by where it was Logan Watkins, Josh Vitters, and Brett Jackson were basically I-Cubs lifers. Like, even Taylor Davis, who was the face of the Iowa Cubs, got traded. You can trade away someone like Taylor Davis. Man, you ain't going to have that. I remember watching a Bulls game, switching sports a little bit, watching a Bulls game, and Marquise Teague was the start, was the backup point guard for the Bulls, played at Kentucky, had success at Kentucky, didn't really have a lot of success in the NBA, but got traded to the Nets while he was on the sideline for the Chicago Bulls. <laughs> he, was, he was there in uniform, warmed up, and couldn't play because he was on a new team. <laughs> but he couldn't play for the new team because he was still on his old team. It was just really funny to watch that, like how trades in different sports are just crazy. Are just crazy. You're not seeing that in the NFL. Now, I understand the NFL, there's a week in between games and sometimes more, and they might even sit out that first game, but it's just kind of fun. Like Juan Soto got traded to the Padres and played the <laughs> he scored a run last night. At least that's what I was made to believe he scored a run last night. Yeah, he batted third and played right field. They got traded Tuesday, <laughs> played Wednesday. <laughs> like I just think that's really funny. I just think that's hilarious. But that Juan Soto thing, I was I became a massive Padres fan because the thing that made me even cheer for the Padres even more wasn't just that Juan Soto wouldn't be playing for the St. Louis Cardinals. 
It was the fact that if they didn't get Juan Soto, they were going to turn their attention to Wilson Contreras. That's what reports were. So if they didn't get Juan Soto, they were going to send everybody they could to freaking <laughs> Chicago to get Wilson Contreras. And I think the craziest part about this whole Padres trade was the fact they did not consult Eric Hosmer that he was getting traded, even though he had a no trades clause in his contract. Isn't that that <laughs> we didn't? Hey, uh, hey, Eric, we traded you the Nationals. No, you didn't. What do you mean? I have a no trade clause. Oh shit. Uh, okay. <laughs> like I saw that on Twitter. Like you would think that'd be one thing you discuss. Dude has a no trade clause. We can't trade him unless he agrees to the trade. So he opted out, got traded to Boston. So they had to send Luke Voigt <laughs> to, to Washington. Luke Voigt was going to be the the DH or first baseman for the San Diego Padres if Eric Hosmer did not decline the trade. If Eric Hosmer went over to the Nationals, Luke Voigt would still be on the Padres. And the Padres would not have traded for Brandon Ur- Brandon Brandon Jury. They would not have traded for him because they would have had Luke Voigt there. Like Josh Bell would have been coming over, but you wouldn't have Luke, you wouldn't have Jury. Because they got Drury after they lost both their first basements. First basement. So they had to make a move somewhere. I just think that's hilarious. That and it, the Cardinals didn't get him. So that also that also really worked out in my favor as well. But the Padres should be fun. The Padres should be very, very fun. You've got a team with Juan Soto, Manny Machado, and then once he comes back, Fernando Tatis, who might be the best player in baseball when healthy. That's fun. That's really fun, and the Padres got other nice players as well. Josh Bell is a fine first baseman, all star with the National, all star with the Pirates. He might have been an all star with the Nationals like a year ago. Jake Cronenworth, a fine second baseman. Jerickson Profar has been playing very, very well. Been a nice leadoff option for the Padres. He's a very versatile player, but been playing mainly in left field for the Padres. Haas Young Kim has been very nice at shortstop. So whenever they need to spare Fernando Tatis, Kim's been pl- he's been holding his own to a certain extent. Trent Grisham is nice. The only weak spot they really have on this roster is that catcher, like we said before. They got Nomar Mazzara on the bench. They got Will Myers on the bench. They got Darvish, Blake, Sm- Blake Snell, Musgrove, Sean Manaya. Now, they did trade Mackenzie Gore to the uh, Washington Nationals. They traded a lot of really nice young pieces to the Nationals. They traded Abrams, their young shortstop, to the Nationals as well. Uh, who else did they all trade there? They traded Luke Voigt there. They traded... Abrams, they traded Gore. They traded other people, but I'm trying to remember who all they traded. There was more involved, but I can't really remember. I'm on their I'm on one of their pages, but nothing's really popping up that I can see anyways. They released Alcides Escobar, who I keep forgetting is even still in baseball. <laughs> He's still in the major leagues. But CJ Abram getting him, that was a very nice get. That was a very, very nice get. And Luis Garcia is a young shortstop as well, and he's been playing decent for the White, for the Nationals. But Luke Voigt coming in is pretty nice. Getting Gore is very nice. He can come in either play as a long reliever or he can come in and start. But yeah, we're, it's awesome. I love, I love the baseball trade deadline. I love the baseball trade deadline. Then you saw the Yankees trading Jordan Montgomery for Harrison Bader. Now I'm intrigued to see what, how Harrison Bader looks because Harrison Bader's got the locks. And you know the Yankees, you got to basically have a military cut and no beard. You can kind of exaggerate a little bit, but you can't have long hair. Johnny Damon had the long beard and long hair when he played for the Red Sox, gone when he played for the Yankees. And then you had Andrew McCutcheon come over with the sick dreads when he won an MVP for the Pirates, gone. Dreads gone. Like, I remember seeing, I would put him up there 
with Devin Hester and looking so weird without the dreads. You had this image in their mind of these players that had the dreadlocks or the long hair, and then it's just gone. It's just gone like that. It's just it's just missing. And it was just crazy to see that. And he, he's not been a big, very big fan of the Yankees and that whole system that they got going on in regards to the hair and the beard stuff because it takes away from the individuality of the players. Like There's no even not even names on the back of the Yankees jerseys. Military cuts, no beard. You can have a mustache. Like you see John Carlos Stanton rocking a mustache at times. Matt Carpenter's been rocking a mustache. Like Matt Carpenter is as old school as you can get. Dude doesn't even wear gloves. I don't know how you can play in the Major League Baseball and not wear gloves. Uh, that would stress me out so much. Like it hurts getting having your bat hit a ball like that anyways. And it doesn't really do a whole lot, the gloves. It's just for grip. But it does feel nicer to have the gloves on. What else happened? The Yankees. Speaking of the Yankees, I guess they trade Joey Gallo. Uh, Mr. Strikeout, pretty much, <laughs> to the, the Los Angeles Dodgers. He's back in a Dodgers uniform. They got Andrew Benintendi from the Kansas City Royals. The Yankees did to play left field. Whit Merrifield got traded to Toronto. Was there any other big moves that happened? I mean, the Red Sox got Hosmer. They got Tommy Pham from the Cincinnati Reds. Is there any other big moves? I mean, they traded away Chris Vasquez, like we said. They got Reese McGuire from the White Sox. They traded one of the relievers to the White Sox. Any other big moves that I'm completely forgetting about? There very well could be. Oh, um, Noah Syndergaard getting traded to the Phillies. That was a big get for the Philadelphia Phillies. They're sitting there in third place in a very tight division. You look at the Mets, Braves, and Phillies in the top three spots in their division. All very nice teams, all above 500. But the Mets are just so good. And the Mets didn't even need to really make a move. They were gonna they were linked heavily with Contreras, but they didn't end up getting it. They got Darian Ruff from the Giants, which is a nice get, nice versatile player, can play both in the outfield, can play first base as well. You got Tyler Naquin from the Reds. Reds were just selling everybody. They sold everybody in the offseason. They got rid of Winker. They got rid of Suarez. They got rid of Castellanos. Castellanos has been struggling this year for the Phillies, but got rid of him. Then they got rid of Drury this offseason, or this past August, past, past August, past couple days. Nyquin's gone. They traded away everybody. They're, they're pretty, they, they traded uh, Castillo away to the San Diego, jeez, traded Castillo away to the Seattle Mariners, who are without Julio Rodriguez, which is going to be a big loss. Apparently got hit by a pitch. I had not seen anything, but hopefully a speedy recovery for him because he's a very, very fun player. There's a lot of links with Jock Peterson getting traded. He is still a part of the New York Giants organization. New York Giants. Still a part of the San Francisco Giants organization. J.D. Davis in the trade for Darian Ruff got sent down, sent over the San Francisco Giants from New York to San Francisco. Same thing that the Giants did. <laughs> they were the New York Giants at one point as well, the baseball team. Anything else really happened in baseball in the trade deadline that I am forgetting about? I'm trying to remember everything that happened. What else happened? I think the Twins made some moves, right? Twins made some moves. And they got Sandy Leon, backup catcher, pretty, like, decent switch inning catcher. Nothing, like, amazing, but decent switch inning catcher. They got George Lopez, or Jorge Lopez, however you want to say. Oh, uh, Josh Hader got traded to the Padres as well, speaking of closers. So, like, the Padres, they're in win-now mode. They're in win-now mode. I don't know when Fernando Tatis is coming back, but when he comes back, like Juan Soto said, I fear for opposing pitchers. I really fear for opposing pitchers. Then you got to fear for opposing hitters as well. Hater coming in off the... I know Hater isn't the same Josh Hater that he's been in the past, but he's still Josh Hater. Like, I, the, the Padres are going to be nice. 
they're already kind of nice, but they're going to be even nicer. Like 61 and 46, the only issue is they're in the division with the Dodgers. And as long as the Dodgers and Yankees are the top dogs in baseball, in regards to money and net spend and net gross and all that stuff, net gross, huh? And money and money gained, they they should be the top dogs in baseball. I know the Yankees had a really weird period a few years ago where they were kind of teetering on not very good, but then they shot back up another. They're very good again, and I would be pretty amazed if the World Series was not Dodgers-Yankees this year. That just seems like the direction it's going this year, doesn't it? I don't know like, if the Padres get Fernando Tatis back in time. Because, again, we're in August now. We're past the All-Star break. So if they get Tatis back, they can make a little run. The Dodgers, we'll see. We'll see. I hate the Dodgers. We'll be cheering for the Padres in the playoffs. The Padres, Braves, and Mets. I don't really I the Mets are weird. I shouldn't really like the Mets, but I grew up liking David Wright and Jose Reyes and Carlos Beltran to a certain extent. I love their black uniforms that they rocked. So yeah, I have a little a little bit of a soft spot for the New York Mets. I'm not saying I'm a massive fan of the Mets, that if the Cubs imploded right now that I would just instantly turn to the Mets. But I like I do like the Mets. I would probably just jump on the hipster bandwagon and jump on the Padres. <laughs> if the Cubs, if Wrigley, if we had a, a Dark Knight Rises moment where Bane or some supervillain walked out to the mound, I guess not the mound, but walked out of the dugout after he just exploded the stadium because for some reason there's a bomb underneath the stadium. And they're going to blow up the stadium or at least blow up the field because they know the mayor's there. So they're going to have the mayor, you know, not the governor, not the president, not anybody else, the mayor. We're going to yell at him, and uh, yeah, if that happened, I'd probably just jump on the Padres bandwagon. Like, or I could go, like, I've never really had to think about this. I've never really liked any other baseball team than the Cubs. Like, I grew up, my first baseball jersey was a Sammy Sosa jersey. Got it at Vaughn Maurer. Watched some terrible baseball, sat through Brian LaHare, sat through Ian Stewart, sat through a lot of really interesting baseball. Yeah, Kosuke Fukudome, Derek Lee, Aramis Ramirez, Carlos Zambrano destroying a dugout every once in a while, Ryan Dempster. Who else? Starlin Castro was my favorite player after Sammy Sosa left. Darwin Barney. I've got a Darwin Barney signed baseball. But I've never really had to think about it. Like, my my family's from Chicago, so we were Cubs fans. Like, Cubs fans first. My papa played baseball, so we were gonna we were Cubs fans for that. And then we went to Iowa Cubs games all the time. So I really never even had that option to pick. <laughs> like, every team that I have, I have not picked. It's kind of been forced upon me. The Bills was forced upon me from early. There is a picture of me, baby picture of me, in a Bills jersey. Or not Bills jersey, Bills onesie, with a Bills picture frame when I was a baby baby. My first jersey is a Doug Flutie jersey. Then I had the Cubs, because my papa... And because we went to Iowa Cubs games. I had the Bulls because of my uncle. Big Michael Jordan fan. I guess I picked the Blackhawks. I played, I picked the Blackhawks and the Sabres. Well, I, Sabres was kind of like me and my dad would watch the Sabres and the Blackhawks because the Blackhawks are a local team and the Sabres are in Buffalo. So we were cheering for the Buffalo Sabres as well. And I chose Manchester United because, you know, they were the only team on when I was younger. So I was like, okay, we got to choose them. We'll get to the Premier League stuff in a little bit because, of course, the Premier League kicks off today. But before we get into anything else here on the Logan Blackman Show, let's go over some housekeeping items. Make sure you're following the Logan Blackman Show on all forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and, of course, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. The Twitter account is Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram account is the Logan Blackman Show 1 with the personal account being Blackman Logan. Facebook and YouTube to search the Logan Blackman Show. Make sure you're subscribed and following and liked on all of those things. 
And then, of course, you're listening to it right now, so you might as well be subscribed to the Apple Podcasts and Spotify accounts, or both, or or one of them. If you have an Android and you can't access Apple Podcasts, don't worry about subscribing there. Or go on your Apple laptop if you have one of those and subscribe on there. Leave a rating out of five stars on both of them. Leave a description down below on why you feel the way you do about the episode or the show in general. I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. But, man, it's a it's been a fun week in sports. It's been a fun week. Like, when I had the show, when I was getting ready to do a show Tuesday, before I eventually was like, okay, you know what, I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to sack it off. I'm going to go to bed. I'll, I'll take the L and we'll record some other time. But I was ready to do a show because I sat there with my dad and I was like, oh, okay, I've got things to talk about now. I've got some things I am able to talk about. The big thing was it wasn't even the trade deadline. Like, I, I was going to talk about that at some point, but the big news, we've talked about this quite a bit recently because it's the number one story in the NFL, the Deshaun Watson suspension on what the hell Deshaun Watson's going to be suspended. Everybody knew he was going to be suspended. Everybody knew. And we talked about this a few weeks ago where it was like the, the suspension is going to be somewhere between two to eight games or something like that. And then we went over all the different things that have happened in the NFL that regards suspensions. The NFL is anything but consistent. The NFL is the least consistent when it comes to punishments for their players. You look at some things that are very minuscule compared to what Deshaun Watson is accused of doing. Again, I said accused because I don't know the facts. I'm going off what I can tell from the reports I've been reading. But like things like Josh Gordon or Martavis Bryant smoking weed is not the same thing as 24 sexual assault allegations. Gambling $1,500 on games you're not playing in is not the same thing as 24 sexual assault allegations. Deflated footballs is not the same thing or worse than 24 sexual assault allegations. These are not similar things and yet they're around the similar length of suspension. I take that back because apart from the deflated footballs, the other things we mentioned have longer suspensions. Martavis Bryant and Josh Gordon are pretty much exiled from the NFL. Calvin Ridley got suspended a season, and Tom Brady got suspended four games for deflated footballs, allegedly in a game that didn't even matter. It was a playoff game, but the Patriots annihilated the Colts. Like, the deflated footballs was such a minuscule thing that happened in that game, and yet he got suspended for four games because of that. Deshaun Watson has 24 sexual assault allegations, got suspended six games. Six. Now, again, I'm saying accused because I do not under, I do not know the facts. I'm not Deshaun Watson. I'm not the people that have been accusing him. So I'm, I'm going to go accused. But the thing that I have an issue with not only the suspension, which is way too low, is the people that are defending the suspension because he sat out a year. We talked about this a few weeks ago. He was not suspended a year ago. He was not suspended at all. He sat out because he did not want to play for the Houston, Texas organization. That Him sitting out had nothing to do with the sexual assault allegations that were taking place. Those did not, they were not similar circumstances. It's the same thing you go like, oh, you get in trouble as a kid. You go up to your room without your parents telling you. No, you're still going to face punishment. Just because you started the process does not mean you're going to get... Like, Deshaun Watson sitting out last year. It's not like this six games is like, okay, he has sat out, what, 23 games. So he's sat out almost two seasons. No. No. That's not That's not the same. Or a season and a half. It's not the same. No. 
He did not get suspended last year. He did not want to play for the Texans. And I didn't blame him. I wouldn't want to play for the Texans either. Like, this whole thing is just a freaking mess. And then, after all of that, after what we saw, when was it, Tuesday? When the, the suspension got announced? Yeah, Tuesday, Tuesday. So, six games on Tuesday is when it got announced. Now, the NFL is looking for an indefinite suspension, per Adam Schefter, on the Sean Watson situation. And the NFLPA is going to sue the NFL because the NFL is going to press again. And the indefinite suspension is going to be a season. It's not... That makes it sound like it's some, like, light death sentence in the NFL. No, he's going to get suspended a season if the NFL gets it this way. But again, you look at all these suspensions. Calvin Ridley got suspended 11 more games for gambling 1,500. 1,500. It's not like 150,000. No, $1,500. That is it. Something that is legal for everybody else to do. And the NFL just had their draft in Vegas hosting all these different gambling things. And gambling is the basically the end-all, be-all when it comes to the NFL. He wasn't even playing. Like, if he was betting on his team to lose and he was playing and dropping passes on purpose, then yes, I understand that. Like, Juventus. And the Cal, Cal, ah, jeez, Cabalachi, jeez, I can't even say it. it. The thing in Serie A, like 10, 20 years ago. Calipachi scan, I can't remember what it was. But they got relegated. Like, teams were losing games. That is worse than just gambling on games that you're not playing in. And at $1,500, a small bet for what people like Calvin Ridley are making in the NFL. And Deshaun Watson is getting suspended six games. Six. Now, my dad's sister and I have talked about this. Because we, we tend to go to at least two Bills games a year. We haven't been to Buffalo in two years, but the past, normally we'll go to two games a year. We'll go one game on the road, one game at home. That's usually how it works out. Last year we went to two, I, at least I went to two road games. I went to, I guess, the same stadium, but, <laughs> but two different games. I want to go to that Browns game. Like, Deshaun Watson has suspended six games for now. For now, he's suspended for six games. Because, again, the NFL is like, okay, we're going to, oh, everybody's mad. And we're confused about it, so we're just going to sue. We're going we're gonna to appeal the suspension. Like, it's going to get crazy. Looking for an indefinite suspension. Not six games, indefinite, which translates to, to 17. It's not really that. <laughs> it's, what, it's what the minimum really should be. Like, similar situations. Are Ben Roethlisberger and Zeke, and they had one to two. Deshaun Watson got six for 24. <laughs> ben Roethlisberger had one. I think Zeke had one or two. And they got suspended a, a little less than six games for Deshaun's 24. Which I guess they went two plus four equals six. So that might be how they figured out the six-game suspension. And, like, this is, it's really weird because, generally speaking, I have no issue with Deshaun Watson. Like, if we're talking about the play, okay, I gotta re I've got to rephrase that. Generally speaking, in regards to the player, what I watch on Sundays, nothing to do with off-the-field stuff. Deshaun Watson is a great football player. Up until this point, 
I don't think anybody could have pointed one negative thing about Deshaun Watson on or off the field. And then this comes out of absolutely nowhere. And now it's captured the entire audience of America. And it's it's so weird, too, because I'm hearing, like, there's so many different reports about this whole situation that really don't make any sense. Like, apparently when they were trying to figure out a sentencing, he showed no remorse or whatever, because he, he doesn't feel like he should. But then the Browns, when they've talked about it, said he's shown remorse. So we really have no idea what to feel about this whole situation. Does anybody know what this is? What's actually happening in this situation? Like Deshaun, as a quarterback, is one of the best in the league. Top 10 and on his day, top 5. On his day. Like, dude led the league in passing yards and passing touchdowns on the Texans. On the Texans. A team that won four games. It would have gotten swept if it weren't for Deshaun Watson. So I understand completely why I was like, yeah, uh, I'm done here. This is a stupid organization run by Jack Easterby, a former, uh, what is he, a former, what is he, is he a gospel guy? Not a guy, he's their team, like, what is his official title? I mean, he's like a player exec now, but he was like their, their preacher or character coach. And now he's running a football team. And then Bill O'Brien, who traded away every single pick they had because they subscribed to the F them picks thing that the Rams did. But the problem is the Texans were not trading for players that were worth the picks. And they were trading away good players for nothing. They got nothing back for DeAndre Hopkins. When he was playing, he was the best receiver in the NFL. At that time, you got David Johnson and a second-round draft pick for DeAndre Hopkins. And then you said second-round draft pick to trade for Brandon Cooks, who on his day is a good wide receiver, but was just contemplating retirement because of concussions. Now, Brandon Cooks has played well. He got himself an extension with Houston. I I like Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks won me a fantasy football league a few years ago when he was on the Saints. So I like Brandon Cooks. But this Deshaun Watson thing is crazy. Absolutely crazy. And I look forward to seeing how this plays out for the rest of the season. And I'm very intrigued to see how it affects the Cleveland Browns as a team. Because this is not going to be something that can be just glanced past. Like, I think Jacoby Brissett is a fine quarterback. Like, back, he's like pretty much going to be the next Ryan Fitzpatrick, isn't he? Where he's going to be a backup. He's going to be brought in as a backup for every organization, it feels like. And he's going to start at some point. Regardless of who the starter is, Jacoby Brissett will be starting at some point. That's why they brought him into Cleveland. I mean, Deshaun Watson looks like he's going to get suspended, so we're going to bring in Jacoby Brissett, who's the best backup, arguably, in the NFL. Not a starter. We saw what that was in Indianapolis. He looked really good for, like, the first six games, and then the last half of the season was awful. Or awful, maybe that's a little harsh, but he was pedestrian at best. He's not a starter. He's not a starter. Pedestrian, decent player, backup, fine. So I'm intrigued to see how he does. I'm intrigued to see how the Browns as a team handle this situation in a very, very tough division. The NFC, the AFC North is tough. You got the Ravens who are definitely going to be better than what they were last year. They had so many injuries in the secondary. Lamar was hurt for the last half of the season. They had no running backs. Ronnie Stanley was out. And they had no wide receivers. They still really don't have any wide receivers because they just traded freaking Marquise Brown, who on his time, on his best, was a very fast wide receiver with questionable hands and injury history. 
Now, I think he's going to do well in Arizona. He has a previous relationship with Kyler Murray, and he's not the number one guy. So there's going to be a lot less attention on him with DeAndre Hopkins there if he can stay healthy. But somehow they got a first-round draft pick for him. I don't know how they managed to do that. And they got Tyler Lindebaum and Kyle Hamilton. And there was a video of Kyle Hamilton recently. It was a uh, he was running he was running a looked like he was running pre, man coverage corner against this undrafted free agent. Everybody's like, oh, Kyle Hamilton got burnt by this undrafted free agent wide receiver. Kyle Hamilton now sucks. No, it's not Kyle Hamilton's game at all. Kyle Hamilton will never be pressed like that. Kyle Hamilton is a run up on the line of scrimmage and get after the quarterback, get after the run game, or play as a center fielder. He's never ever going to be in a situation where he's going to have to be playing man up on somebody in the slot. That's not going to happen. That will not happen. I can promise you that. He's not that type of player. But when you utilize Hamilton to his strengths, he should be or should become one of the best safeties in the NFL. Like everything that hurt Kyle Hamilton this offseason was athletically in regards to speed. But there's things that aren't really that important in the grand scheme of things, like that play. That will never happen in a real game. Kyle Hamilton will never be lined up in that situation ever in a game. I refuse to believe that. And then his 40 yard dash time is misconstrued because he has terrible technique in the 40-yard dash, which the 40-yard dash we've talked about before is 99% technique, maybe even 100. I know it's 100% technique. If you have a bad start, your entire 40-yard dash is screwed up. If you have a bad start, you're done. If you look up at the wrong time, you're done. If you stand straight up at the wrong time, you're done. If you don't run it in exactly a straight line, you're done. If you don't hike your knees up high enough, you're done. Like Kyle Hamilton, his 40-yard dash at the Combine, terrible start. And then if you look at the straight-on angle, he's weaving in and out pretty much. Terrible technique, but he's never going to need to do that. He's never going to do that in a game. Never, ever. You can watch his game against Florida State, which is the, probably the most realistic chance of him running 40 yards in a straight line. He covered hash to the other sideline to make an interception. One of the greatest plays you'll ever see in college football. It was awesome. That's what Kyle Hamilton is. Lining up man-on-man in the slot is not something he's going to do. Ever. He's going to be up on the line of scrimmage, getting after the quarterback, or making plays in the run game, or being a center fielder. He's not going to be playing press on anybody. He's not going to play in the slot or nickel ever. If he does, something went wrong. Something went wrong. (laughs) But he's good. I really like Kyle Hamilton. So I'm very intrigued to see what he does and how he is utilized in the Baltimore Ravens organization. They had a really good draft. They got a really good draft. They got David Ojabo in the second round. Because he tore his Achilles. But, man, they got David Ojabo in the second round. David Ojabo was a top three edge rusher. They got him in the second round. That's ridiculous. And he might even play this year. Because they saw what Cam Akers did in Los Angeles. There might be a chance he actually plays. He's with his off defensive coordinator from Michigan, too. Him and Adafi Owe? On the edges, oh, healthy. That is the most one of the, if not the most athletic edge rushing duo in the NFL. When healthy, that might be the most athletic. I'm not saying it's the best, but it's probably the most athletic. That's going to be scary. And then the Ravens, as we said, the Ravens are going to be better. The Bengals just went to the Super Bowl. And I saw a thing on Twitter from uh, Sunday Night Football on NBC, which is just every time they tweet something, it's clickbait something. So I haven't even heard the exact quote from Jamar Chase about this. But Jamar Chase essentially said, I'm better than Justin. Jamar Chase, when asked about his former college teammate, Justin Jefferson. I haven't heard the exact quote. 
So that could be taken way out of context, but I agree with the statement. We said that when he got drafted. Like, I remember everybody was getting all up and panties all in the bunch because just Jamar Chase didn't play. And it was like, the only person that took votes of Justin Herbert winning Rookie of the Year, which he rightly got, by the way. I know a lot of people like to say Justin Jefferson deserved it. Justin Herbert broke every single rookie passing record. Justin Jefferson broke the receiving yards record. Like, it was just, there's levels. Like, I Justin Herbert deserved that. But the only person that took votes away from him was Justin Jefferson. And Jamar Chase, when they were at LSU, was the A-side. That's why he wore number one, Justin Jefferson wore number That's not it, but... It's just funny to think of like it like that. But J- Jamar Chase was the, the dog of that team. And yes, he sat out a year. But when they were together, when he was playing, when he was with Burrow, he was the best receiver in college football by far. I only imagine what would happen if he actually played. Now, LSU did not have the greatest quarterback room at that time. They had like Max Johnson and um, who else was even there? Max Johnson. There was someone else, but I can't remember who it was. Like, Jamar Chase is that dude. And he proved that this year. He proved that this year. Broke all of Justin Jefferson's records. In the same amount of games. He played 17 games, but he broke the record in 16. Like, I agree 100% with that. I think Jamar Chase is better than Justin Jefferson. I just think at this point in time, when you're looking at the best receivers in the NFL, you kind of have to give that edge to Jefferson just because he's done it for two years. Jamar Chase done it for one. So if you're ranking it like that, probably. But I like we talked about with Chris Sims' wide receivers rankings. I have no issue with Jamar Chase being listed as the best receiver in the NFL because there's so many good receivers in the league. I think Jamar Chase definitely once he gets if he once he gets the same numbers that he put up last year this year he'll be the best receiver in the NFL. I'm pretty confident in saying that. If he puts up the exact same numbers or better or even close to the numbers he put up this year, he's the be- he might be the best receiver in the NFL. We just need to see him do it for two years. I think talent-wise, skill-wise, he is better than Justin Jefferson. I just need to see him do it for one more year in the NFL to say, yes, he is a better receiver than Justin Jefferson because Justin Jefferson's arguably top five, and I think you could say the same thing about Chase. Like, you look at the best receivers in the NFL currently, you got Adams, you got Cup, you got Hill, you got Hopkins, Diggs, Jefferson, Chase, Keenan Allen. I'm probably forgetting some people. DK Metcalf, Debo Samuel. There's other players I'm definitely missing out on. I think Hunter Renfro is one of the best slots in the NFL, one of the best route runners. If you're talking about pure route runners, you got like Diggs, Allen, you've got Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro. Like those are the best route runners in the NFL, but man, they're some beasts in the NFL now. Some beasts. And I am excited to see how these like receivers that have high promise do this year, like Elijah Moore. I saw a thing yesterday that was like Elijah Moore is the clear number one guy for the New York Jets. Which is saying a lot. Which is saying a lot. Which is saying a lot. Because they just drafted Garrett Wilson. They have Corey Davis on the roster. It's saying a lot. And I also saw that Joe Flacco is outperforming Zach Wilson. Which I don't really care about. So let's move on from that. I don't really care. <laughs> don't not. I do not care about that. But you also got like Jerry Judy. Who's going to have a big role this year. Because Tim Je- Tim Patrick just tore his ACL. Which feels like it's three years in a row or so. I could be really wrong about this, but I feel like it's every offseason the Broncos have a receiver tear their ACL. It's like Cortland Sutton last year, two years ago. Now it's Tim Patrick. So I, I'm scared for Jerry Judy <laughs> or KJ Hamler or whoever else they've got at wide receiver out there. But with Russell Wilson coming in, you would expect people like Jerry Judy to have his quote-unquote breakout season. 
But it's exciting. Like even I didn't even mention like Jalen Waddle is going to be a number two wide receiver with Tyreek Hill. Number two, Jalen Waddle is the top six pick, and he's going to be the number two behind Tyreek Hill. Like it's crazy. I mean, now he's got two of throwing in the ball, so he's he's the most accurate quarterback in the NFL. And I think what they're banking on, what you would imagine anyways, is the Dolphins are going to hit a lot of crossing routes. Because you're trying to get a defensive back to cover those crossing routes with Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill, that's going to be extremely hard to stop. They ain't running no deep routes. Tua can barely throw the ball 50 yards, it feels like. So I so I would imagine they're doing a lot of crossing routes, trying to confuse the defense and get those guys in open field. I don't think they're going to be throwing a lot of bombs this year. I don't think you'll see that like you did with the Kansas City Chiefs last year. I, or for however long Tyree Kill and Patrick Mahomes been together, <clears throat> you're not going to see that. But Tua had a quote, he's like, I think the team is all with me, which is which is weird for him, I'd imagine, because it feels like the past couple off-seasons, the team has been very against him. Remember last year, before the last off-season, when we had the rumors about Deshaun Watson wanting out, it was like he's going to be linked with Miami Dolphins, and they had all those rumors about and reports that everybody on the team did not like Tua as the starting quarterback. No one liked Tua as the starting quarterback. Like, people were upset when Ryan Fitzpatrick got named the starter, apparently. Like, Brian Flores was very anti-Tua. He made that abundantly clear the entire time he was there. He didn't want to draft him. He made that clear. And he never wanted to play him. The only reason they ever played Tua is because Stephen Ross and Chris Greer, who drafted Tua, who did the whole tank for Tua thing, they wanted Tua. And you're going to get what the owner or GM wants. Head coach is not really going to get the guy he wants. Like, you look down in Jacksonville, do you think freaking, uh, what's his name, Doug Peterson wanted Trayvon Walker? No, that was a Trent Baalke move all the way. I don't even know if Sean Conn wanted that. The GM makes the moves to build the team. Chris Greer was brain, was jointed the hip with Steven Ross, so they were going to draft Tua Tagovailoa, regardless of if he's better than Justin Herbert, which at this point he's clearly not. <laughs> he's clearly not better than Justin Herbert at this point in their careers. Now, Justin Herbert could have a career-ending injury tomorrow, and Tua could throw for 6,000 yards this year, and we may be having a different discussion, but I highly doubt, knock on wood, that that will happen. Highly doubt that that will happen. I think we talked about this on Monday, about Tyreek Hill saying it's the most electrifying receiver duo in the NFL. I do kind of agree with that. Early in NFL history, I do agree with that. I do agree with that. Everything else Tyreek Hill has been saying this offseason about Tua and the Dolphins or whatever has been very weird, and for the most part, very wrong, but I think that take on the fastest the most electrifying receiving core in the NFL history I think that's fair I don't think you've had two receivers this fast together in NFL history I don't think you could say that I think you can have better receiving cores than what the Dolphins have but not with the speed you don't you never had this speed before in the NFL I'm gonna take a sip of water real quick but you never had this and I'm excited to see how it works out because Tyreek Hill is a he's a scary man He's a scary, 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 scary man. He's very good. And I remember when they traded him, traded for him, I was like, man, I don't want to play Tyreek Hill twice a year. And my dad goes, well, we kind of already do. Because the Bills and Chiefs play each other in the mega seasons pretty much every year, and then they'll meet in the playoffs. Like, it's just guaranteed to happen. So, yeah, okay, they're just keeping the same thing up again. Now, we kind of we brought up the Dolphins a little bit. We were talking about Tyreek Hill. We are talking about Tua. We brought up Brian Flores. Now, the Dolphins had a... A nice little punishment for them. I don't know if this was placed specifically to get people to stop talking about the Sean Watson thing because it happened a day after the Sean Watson thing or when the the quotes came out about it. But the Dolphins have uh, lost a first-round pick 
Now, they have two of them. I don't know if they lost the 49ers first round draft pick because they got that when the 49ers traded for Trey Lance. So I don't know if they lost that one or they're losing just theirs because losing a first round draft pick does not really mean a whole lot for the Dolphins right now because they still have one left. So if they took away both of them, that'd be fine. But yeah, the first round pick in 2023 and the 2024 third round draft pick because Miami had impermissible communication with QB Tom Brady in 2019-2020 while he was under contract to the New England Patriots. NFL stripped some Dolphins draft picks for violating the integrity of the game. Now, that could go down to a lot of different things. They, the Dolphins are kind of a freaking mess this offseason. I like the moves they made on the roster. I like Mike McDaniels as a head coach. But the Brian Flores situation, the Tom Brady thing, which was – that got reported like a month or two ago. And it's still like we are a Bill Belichick text away from Tom Brady beyond the Miami Dolphins. And Bill Belichick ain't letting that happen. Like They had him on the Stephen Ross's yacht and everything. And then the whole tanking thing. I don't think they I don't think they saw eye to eye with Brian Flores at all. Brian Flores is a football guy. Brian Flores is a football guy first, organization team building thing second. So when you look at Brian Flores, what's the main job of a head football coach? To win. So when you have an ownership group and a GM that want a guy to tank, and he's not gonna do it, rightly or wrongly, he's gonna get fired. Especially when they don't they really do not like the quarterback that they drafted. And wanted, very vocally wanted, the quarterback that's playing very well in Los Angeles. Like, I think Brian Flores should definitely, definitely, definitely have a head coaching job right now. But man, I'm not really surprised, given even though he had success relatively with Miami, that he got fired because they were not on good terms at all. Chris Greer, Steven Ross, and Tua were not seeing eye-to-eye at all with Brian Flores. At all. But the Dolphins, yes, they're kind of a mess off the field. On the field, they're doing... I think Steven Ross even suspended for like six games or something, which I don't I don't know how that's going to work, but they just don't show up to the stadium, I guess. I, I don't know. I mean, he's not playing. What's suspending the owner doing? What is that even... What is that, what is that accomplishing? I've never understood when that happens. Like, suspending a coach, yes, you're losing a lot of important things on the side. Like, what are you losing when your owner's not at the game? Like, do we really know that every single owner is at NFL games? You would think they would be, but like in the Premier League, with the American owners like Stan Kroenke, the Glazers from Manchester United, like, they're not at the games. They're not at Manchester United or Arsenal games. They're not there. They're sitting in their comfy seats in America. So, having Steven Ross suspended for however many games doesn't really push the needle for me. It doesn't really, I don't really care about that. I think it's funny they lost draft picks, but I do think it's even funnier that they almost had Tom Brady and they did not end up getting him. Now he's in Tampa, which would have sucked. It's like, oh yes, Tom Brady's finally leaving the New England Patriots. Oh, but he's going to the Dolphins. So he's staying in division. We still have to play him twice a freaking year. And that record that he has against the Bills would only get extended because for whatever reason, the Bills just cannot beat Tom Brady. He's 33-3. and Against the Buffalo Bills. 33-3. Like, I remember when the Bills would beat the Patriots when I was younger. My dad would go, it doesn't matter because Tom Brady didn't play. I know they beat them three times, but... Or 33-2. and two. Was there a third time that they beat him? They beat him the first time he was the starter in New England. Bloodsoe was there. They beat him like 30 to nothing. Ryan Lindell made a game-winning field goal against them. Did they beat him another time? Or was it just those two? 
I can't remember. I know he's got 33 wins. He just extended that this year. He's got the bit the the highest win percentage against one team in NFL history, minimum like 10 games or something. Like it's ridiculous. And it's Ben Roethlisberger with the Browns as well. It's crazy. Only been would have only been getting extended in our relationship with the Miami Dolphins now would be completely different. Like I pretty much look forward to playing the Miami Dolphins. I have no fear when they go into those Dolphins games. The Bills have owned the Dolphins ever since Josh Allen's been in the league. Apart from the first game they played where they lost on a drop touchdown pass by Charles Clay, the Bills have dominated the Dolphins. It's been nowhere close. Now, the Dolphins moves they made this offseason, again, are nice. Do I have a little more respect to them than I had in the past? Yes, I do, because I think they're getting Tyreek Hill is big. Do I fear Tua? No, I do not. Getting Armstead in from New Orleans is massive because their tackles were not very good, which also sucks that they got him. They got Gasecki there. They got Waddle there. Xavier Howard, Byron Jones. They got a good team. Christian Wilkins, solid team. Miami Daniels is his first year as a head coach. I'm excited to see what he can do. Very smart guy, all things considered. So, yeah, I'm excited. I am excited. And we have the Hall of Fame game tonight on Thursday. So I'm recording this right – I'm recording it before the game starts because I have people coming over. I have family coming over. I have friends coming over. So we're going to get this recorded before the game starts. But I'm excited. It feels weird that football's already back. I feel like the Super Bowl just happened. I feel like the draft just happened. And speaking of the draft, we will have a 2023 NFL draft mock draft coming for you soon. I don't know exactly when. It's just been really busy these past couple weeks. So we're trying to get stuff done. But uh, it's been a little difficult schedule-wise. But I'm excited. I don't care if it's the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Oakland Raiders or Las Vegas Raiders. I don't care if Devontae Adams and Derek Carr probably won't play. But I'm still excited to watch it. I'm still excited to watch. I could be wrong. Again, I'm, I'm recording this before. I, I almost guarantee Devontae Adams is not playing. I don't know if Devontae Adams will play a single preseason game. Derek Carr might play this one, like a, a drive or something. If he played any preseason game, I would imagine it would be this one. But we'll see how Josh McDaniels wants to utilize his starters in the preseason. The Jaguars are going to play everybody. The Jaguars are an extremely young team, so every single player they have is going to be starting, you would imagine. And Travis Etienne reports have been saying he's been dominating camp, which... Does not surprise me at all. Because before he hurt his foot in preseason last year, Travis Etienne was that dude. Travis Etienne was my favorite running back in college football. Most complete running back in college football. Like, they had a, they had a very misled plan of playing him at wide receiver. I don't really think that would be a problem for him. I think Travis Etienne could do anything on a football field. I really think he can. He's not necessarily the biggest guy, but I think he could accomplish anything. And I'm really excited to see how him and James Robinson work together in Jacksonville. I'm very excited to see that because I think it will work very nicely. Because I remember a lot of people when they drafted Etienne were very confused about, they have James Robinson. Why do they need to draft Etienne? But there's a lot of really good running back duos in the league right now. The best rushing attacks in the NFL always have, you seem to see two guys there. Usually. Obviously, there's, there's scenarios that are different where one running back like Derrick Henry is very, very good. So they don't really need another guy. Like even the Colts, Jonathan Taylor, they have Naheem Hines. Then you got New Orleans. They got Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara. They got Chubb and Hunt in Cleveland. They've got Austin Eckler and Josh Jackson in, in Los Angeles or Justin Jackson in Los Angeles. Then Seattle, they've got freaking Rashad Penny. They've got Kenneth Walker. They, uh, Chris Carson just retired, which is really sad given his injuries. If you haven't seen Chris Carson's in neck injury, or neck plate, you should look at that. Yeah, I'm not surprised he retired. I would. It's unfair that his career ended this soon, and like it did, because he's a very, very good running back. But 
your your health has to come first in that situation. When it's that bad, your health has to take first. So, yeah. It sucks, but I do like Kenneth Walker, and I'm excited to see how he does in Seattle because I don't have a quarterback. So they're going to have to be running the ball a lot. They have wide receivers, but, you know, Pete Carroll loves himself running the football. Who else is out there that I'm forgetting? Am I forgetting about anybody important? Vegas, to a certain extent, they had Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake last year. Who else? The Patriots run a platoon system all the time. Jack or Tampa Bay's got a platoon system. So you, you've got teams that have multiple running backs and utilize them. So I'm not really concerned about James Robinson and Travis Etienne working together. You're going to see a lot of two-back sets. I would imagine there are going to be some times when you got Travis Etienne split out wide because, again, he can do that motion across the formation, hand the ball off to him, throw the ball, whatever. James Robinson isn't that. James Robinson is a good running back. Like, running back. He ain't going to do a lot in the pass game, a ton in the pass. He's, I'm not saying he's completely useless, but he's not going to do that much in the passing game. One would imagine anyways. But I'm excited to see how that one goes. Was that all I really needed to talk about in regards to the NFL? I think so. I have some, like, tiny things, but I'm not really going to bring... Okay, this is something, I guess. Uh, you and I... Fo- this is not the NFL, though. It's not the NFL. Ah, we'll, we'll close on this because I got to get to my Top 5 Friday thing. So we got top five Friday this time. I mean, we're just going to go down the list. I mean, we've done quarterbacks. I should have done quarterbacks of my lifetime because, yeah, it's that would have been more fun because that's kind of the route we've been going. We did top ten running back, top five running backs of my lifetime. Now we're doing top five wide receivers. So, like, if I did real quick, top five quarterbacks of my lifetime, Brady's number one, Manning two. If you're looking at the list, I did Breeze three. Wait, no, there was had to be someone else on this list, right? Someone I'm completely forgetting about. Who else? Did, who all did I had? Elway. I had Otto Graham. I had Johnny Unitas. I had Dan Marino and Drew Brees. Okay, so Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers, and then probably, unless I'm forgetting somebody, I loved watching Brett Favre. I loved watching Brett Favre play. So I think that'd be my top five, unless I'm completely forgetting somebody that I like. I liked watching a lot of quarterbacks growing up, but I think those would be my top five: Brady, Manning, Brees, Rodgers, Favre. I think that's my top five quarterbacks of my lifetime. Last week, we did running backs. We had LaDainian Thomas, Andrew Peterson, Marshall Falk, Edron James, and Curtis Martin. But I could hear arguments for like Sean Alexander, Frank Gore, Marshawn, Shady, and Chris Johnson, among others. Like Clinton Portis was mentioned, Fred Taylor. Like there's a lot of really good running backs. MJD, there's a lot of good running backs that did not get mentioned. So, yeah. But we're here we go. We got the wide receivers list for you. Starting at number five, and I struggled with number five. I struggled with number five. I, I pretty I had a pretty easy time going one through four. Number five was a little difficult for me. I'm not going to lie. Just because I watched this guy a lot, and when he was at his peak, he was undoubtedly, uh, not undoubtedly, but he was the best receiver in the NFL when he played. Unstoppable at his best. And that's Julio Jones. Top five receiver in my lifetime. And I'll tell you who I argued with. It was Marvin Harrison. Marvin Harrison and Julio Jones, completely different styles of wide receiver. Marvin Harrison... For what he was, or what, comparing him to Julio Jones, Julio Jones is not as consistent as Marvin Harrison. Marvin Harrison never missed games. If he did, he missed one. Like, there's one season, and it's after his third year in the league. So, in his first three years, he played 15 15, or started, played 16 16, then missed four games, played 12. After that, 16 16, 16 16, 16, 15 16, 15 16. Like, dude, barely missed games. Played 190 games in the NFL. Had how what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight consecutive seasons over a thousand yards receiving. 
led the league in receiving yards twice, led the league in receptions twice, led the league in touchdowns once in 2005, had 15 touchdowns multiple times in his career, had over 1,400 yards receiving four straight years, had 1,600, 1,400, 1,500, and then 1,700. Like, he was that, Marvin Harrison was that dude. But I look at what him and Julio were. I look at what Julio did. Yes, the numbers comparatively, like he doesn't hasn't played the same number of games. He hasn't had the same number of yards, same number of receptions. But he leads the he's NFL holds the NFL record for yards per game, ninety one point nine yards per game, average fifteen point two yards per reception, thirteen hundred thirteen thousand receiving yards. Led the league in receiving three times. Led the league in yards per catch yards per game three times. Led the league in receptions once. Had one hundred thirty six receptions in twenty fifteen. For 1,800 yards, 136 receptions for 1,800 yards. Marvin Harrison had 143 yard receptions for 1,700 yards. And they were talking about the fullest of their careers. Marvin Harrison's numbers are superior to that of Julio Jones. They are. But I look at what Julio did in that time frame, or how big he was, how athletic he was. He was unstoppable at his best. He battled some injuries here and there. But at his best, he was unstoppable. When he was down in Atlanta, there was a stretch where this dude could not be... Nothing. Nothing could stop him. He was bigger, faster, stronger than everybody he went up against. He had one, two, three, four... One, two, three, four, five, six seasons of 1,400 more yards. Now, it should be five, but he had six yards short of 1,400 yards in his last year in Atlanta. Or second to last year in Atlanta. So apart from one where you're six yards away, if we include that six straight seasons of over 1,400 plus yards, six, led the league in yards per game three times, yards twice, NFL record for yards per game. Like now he's on, he's kind of sailed out of his career. The final two seasons of his career, at least these past two have been kind of weird. Playing in Tennessee, didn't really play a whole lot. Now he's in Tampa. But I loved Julio Jones. Julio Jones was unstoppable. But I understand. I wanted to say Marvin Harrison before. Like, we usually just go through the list and then say, here was the honorable mention at the end. But no, I feel like when you look at a team player like Marvin Harrison, you you have to give him respect in the top five. At least mention him while you're going over the top five. But I think he's number five. Number four is Larry. Larry Legend. Larry Legend was freaking... The thing with Larry... That made him so fun is that he was so long and yet so fast at the exact same time. And again, like we talked about with Marvin Harrison, Mr. Consistent, apart from every single year, apart from four, and he played from 2004 to 2020, he played all 16 games. Apart from four, he played all 16 games. And every in most of these seasons, like in his first five season league, three of them he had over 1,400 yards receiving. Led the league in touchdowns twice, 13 and 12 touchdowns. Led the league in reception his second year in the league with 103. Like, if you look at this, he had 1,400 yards, 1,400, 1,400, 1,400 again. Like, he just had all these seasons just consistent. And you look at the playoffs, what he did in the playoffs of 2008 when the Cardinals went to the Super Bowl against the Steelers. NFL record for yards in the postseason and touchdowns. 546 yards receiving in the postseason for that season was seven touchdowns. Every 18.2 yards per carry, per carry, per reception. 30 receptions with 546 yards. 30 for 546. 
with what should have been the game-sealing touchdown in the Super Bowl against the Steelers. One of the greatest plays I've ever watched in NFL history. Over the middle, gone. Splits defenders, like receivers that big don't do that. And Larry did it. Larry caught everything thrown his way. I think there was some ridiculous stat that he has more. He has, what was it? He has less drops. I got to find this stat because it's something ridiculous. Hold on. Drop stats. Only dropped 29 passes in NFL career, even though he played with some terrible-ass quarterbacks. Played with Kurt Warner and Carson Palmer. Everybody else, like John Skelton, the, the early stage of his Arizona Cardinals career, too. I don't remember any of the quarterbacks from then. I think like Josh McCown was there. What was the drops thing? There was like a specific thing. Oh, tackles. He has more tackles than drops. That was what it was. Larry Fitzgerald had 41 tackles with only 29 drops. 29 drops in... A year that a career that spanned 16 years. Consistent, big, and fast. Larry Fitzgerald was that guy and played for a terrible organization in the Arizona Cardinals, who are one of the oldest franchises in the NFL and have yet to win a Super Bowl and only been to one of them. And that was with Kurt Warner and then Larry Fitzgerald pulling out magic out of his ass. And it was him and Anquan Bolden. They were ballers. Absolute ballers that postseason. Number three is Calvin. Calvin Johnson kind of divides opinions about his greatness because he didn't play very long. Calvin Johnson had a very, 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 very short career in comparison to the other guys we just mentioned. Like, Calvin Johnson played eight years in the NFL. Eight. But in those eight years, playing for a team that went 0-16, the first ever 0-16 team in NFL history, in that season, he put up 1,300 yards and 12 touchdowns. In a season where they went 0-16... The first ever, he still put up amazing numbers. And then he held, holds the NFL record for yards in a season, 1,906 yards, 1,964 yards in 16 games, 122 receptions, like the 16 yards a catch. Dude was awesome. I had his shoes. The, the shoes suck. The shoes and cleats, terrible shoes and cleats. <laughs> they were awful. Friggin' boats is what I would call them. But Calvin Johnson retired on top. He had one, apart from his rookie year, he had one season where he had less than 1,000 yards receiving. And both those seasons, he played less than 16 games. Less than 14 games. Uh, No, I guess he played 15 games his rookie year. Calvin Johnson was that guy. Calvin Johnson was so dominant. He's called freaking Megatron. You didn't see players like that. You didn't see players like Calvin Johnson. And the Lions, for how long they've been around to ruin or to end two of the greatest players in their position careers in their prime, Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson, done in their prime. Barry Sanders would be the all-time leader rusher if he didn't retire. Calvin Johnson might be the all-time leading receiver if he didn't retire in his eighth year. Two of the greatest players that are position, both retired in their primes. Sucks, but I understand why they did it. I, I, I agree with why they did it, and I understand why they did it. So I have no issue with that, but Calvin Johnson... I loved Calvin Johnson. I loved, loved, loved Calvin Johnson. He, I remember this one when he uh, was on Sports Illustrated. You guys remember when they played the Bears and they caught what they thought was a game-winning touchdown with Sean Hill at quarterback? And Calvin Johnson caught the ball in the back of the end zone, embraced himself with his hand with the ball, and they let go of the ball. And then they called it incomplete catch, incomplete pass, and the Bears ended up winning the game. 
It was all over. Sean Hill, because this is when Matt Stafford was battling some injuries in the early stage of his career, if you remember that. But yeah, Calvin Johnson was, regardless of the quarterback, same thing with Larry, regardless of the quarterback, unstoppable. Number two on this list, Terrell Owens. Terrell Owens, for how... How do you want to describe... What's the best way to describe Terrell Owens? Forever me, 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 he seemed to be, bars. He backed it up. He played a Super Bowl with the Philadelphia Eagles on a broken leg. And you want to know what he did in said Super Bowl on a broken leg? (laughs) On a broken, busted leg, Terrell Owens had 122 yards receiving. 122. 122 on a broken leg. And he had controversy pretty much everywhere he went. Like, people don't know this. He was on, he got traded to the Ravens from the 49ers. And then declined the trade and then went to Philly. Like, he was he was a Ravens receiver after the San Francisco 49ers. And then went to Philly, then obviously went to Dallas, then people forget that he was in Buffalo. But he put up decent numbers in Buffalo. Nothing amazing. It was the back half of his career. It was the worst season of his career when he played all 16 games. Or started all 16 games, I should say. But this dude's awesome. Terrell Owens, athletically built. I think I I really have no doubt in my mind Terrell Owens could play in the NFL right now. I really don't have any issue with that or have any thought that could go. Oh yeah, he couldn't do that. Dude is ripped. Remember the whole park the driveway workout? One of the weirdest videos you'll ever see for an NFL pre- <laughs> when he got suspended by the Eagles for contact. Uh, what was it? Conduct detrimental to the organization. Remember that? That was pretty fun. So, but he backed it up. He led the league in touchdowns three times. Three times. In Buffalo, he had a 98-yard touchdown. 98 yards. Like, (laughs) in his second to last year in the NFL, he had a 98-yard touchdown. He had all the emotion every time he had something. But, man, what a great player. And I think it's stupid that he did not get first ballot. I really think it was stupid. He got second ballot. Because people don't like Terrell Owens. They do not like Terrell Owens. They they think he's a distraction. They think he's a prima donna. They think he's all this. But he's damn good. Terrell Owens was a damn good football player. And I think he's easily the number two receiver. The number one, I don't think there's any doubt about this. It's Randy Moss. Like, Randy Moss, when he came into the NFL, that game against the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving, where he scored three touchdowns on three catches for, like, basically 200 yards, one of the craziest things you'll ever see. He has the NFL record, or held... The NFL record for touchdowns in the season by a rookie was 17. He had, to start his career, six straight seasons of 1,200-plus yards receiving. Six straight, five of those six seasons, he had over 10 touchdowns receiving. He had 17 touchdowns twice in his first six years in the NFL. That is insane. Over 15 touchdowns three times. Half of his career in the first half, first six games of his career, six game, seasons of his career, he had over 15 touchdowns. That is crazy. And then he got traded to Oakland. That never worked out. And everybody was like, okay, he's going to phase out a little bit. And then he went to New England for pretty much nothing. Like, Tom Brady's Tom Brady. You don't. He doesn't need Randy Moss. But good Lord, that boosted every number. Tom Brady threw 50 touchdowns that year. Patriots went undefeated. Randy Moss had 23 touchdowns. 23! Like, I talk about Larry Legend being this tall, speedy wideout. Nobody was as tall, as lengthy, and as fast as Randy Moss. 
No one could overthrow Randy Moss. No one. That was a physically impossible thing to do. And Randy Moss, towards the end of his career, kind of had a weird back half of his career where he played 2010 with the Vikings, Titans, and the 49ers. It was kind of a weird back half of his career. But when he was on, he was on. In his, from his, well, to count his career, I don't really want to talk about 2010 and 2012, but from 98 to 2009, Randy Moss had two seasons where he had less than 1,000 yards receiving. And both those seasons, he played less than 16 games. He played 13 in both of them. Every season, apart from three, in those 11 years, he had more than 10 touchdowns. Like, Randy Moss was unstoppable. And I think, in our life, I mean, I don't really think there's any argument that he's the greatest wide receiver in my lifetime. There's a whole catchphrase, you got Moss, surrounded by him. And that's what you think about him. So people just think of him high-pointing balls, which he did, but he torched people all the time, ran by defenders. Randy Moss was that dude. Randy Moss was that dude. Whatever you have opinions about Randy Moss off the field, on the field, dude was a baller. So there's my top five. I got Randy Moss, Terrell Owens, Calvin, Larry, and Julio Jones. And then honorable mentions, Marvin Harrison, which I could easily put in the top five. Andre Johnson, because when Andre Johnson was playing, there was no one better. Like, there were very rare receivers that were better than Andre Johnson when he was at his best. And the thing was, he was playing like Matt Schaub, uh, Sage Rosenfels, David Carr. Like, he did not play with any notable quarterbacks at all. Like, he made Matt Schaub look like a competent starter for a little bit, which is ridiculous to think about now. But Andre, for how bad of quarterbacks he played with, always put up numbers. And he fought Cortland Finnegan, one of the greatest fights of all time. It was not really a fight. It was really just Andre Johnson killing him. But it was still awesome. Steve Smith, dude was awesome as well. Just a dog. My friend Caleb wore number 89 in football because of Steve Smith. I love Steve Smith. They got Isaac Bruce. I could put Torrey Holt here who too. Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt were awesome. Great show on turf wide receivers. I think Torrey Holt's the all-time leader in yards for the Rams, but Isaac Bruce just got put in the Hall of Fame. Isaac Bruce scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl on a ripped hamstring. Like, dude, with the, not the same level as breaking your leg and playing and scoring, running for a, receiving 122 yards. It's still nice. It's still nice. Then number five, the last one on here is Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown at his best was unstoppable at times. Like he could return punts. He could do, could catch the ball. He could route. He ran every single route in the route tree. Apart from the off the field thing, like there was conversation who was better between him and Julio for years. And then he had the whole thing with the the Steelers and falling out with the Steelers, and then going to the Raiders and the Patriots, the Bills, <laughs> the Bills for a night or an hour, and then uh, the Raiders. But yeah, Antonio Brown, regardless of off the field stuff, Antonio Brown's one of the greatest receivers of all time. I don't care. Do I think he'll get in the Hall of Fame? No. Do I think he deserves it? Yes. I think Antonio Brown was at his best, was unstoppable. But I don't think he'll get in the Hall of Fame. I don't. It's kind of a similar situation to Terrell Owens, but Terrell Owens had the longevity and consistency. T or Antonio Brown had like six, seven years, and then kind of a mess afterwards. Will he get back in the NFL again? I have no idea. But Hall of Fame, regardless of if he deserves it or not, which again, I think he does, I don't think he'll get in. I do not think Antonio Brown will be a Hall of Famer, which is sad because talent-wise, he should be in there. But that's neither here nor there. But I, I'm excited to see how, what the future holds for Antonio Brown. But there's other receivers I could have mentioned, like Keenan McCardell, uh, Jimmy Smith, the Jacksonville Jaguars wide receivers. Devontae Adams, I think I can mention him. 
for what he's done in the NFL so far. I think Tyreek Hill should be mentioned up there as well because I've never seen a player like Tyreek Hill that – I mean, I guess you had like Deshaun Jackson in there, but Tyreek Hill is doing it to insane levels. Insane, insane levels. But there's so many wide receivers come in. The wide receiver position is a very, very nice position. It's a very, very good position. It's got a very storied history in the 21st century. It's been awesome. Reggie Wayne could have been mentioned on here as well. What other receivers could Wes Welker, Julian Edelman for the playoffs could have been mentioned on here. Anybody else that I could have really looked at for my lifetime? I think OBJ for a little bit would have been definitely mentioned up here. But battles of injuries, whatever went on in Cleveland, and he's got injuries again, so we'll see if he comes back from that. If he can refine his form, that dude's a top. He should he could be a top five wide receiver on this list. But that's my top five and honorable mentions list. Now, before we go over to soccer real quick. I saw my buddy Cole Bear, host of the show Cole and Company up at Cedar Falls. He is a writer for he does he follows around the UNI Panthers football team, and he's a reporter for the Panthers. And in their the Missouri Valley football conferences preseason poll, the Panthers were in fifth, fifth. And I think like if you look, okay, I want to see when this pops up. But how can I pull up this up? I could go to his Twitter account, I guess, because I don't remember who all was involved. I get you could put the, you could it's the usual suspects: North Coast State, South Dakota State. I think Southern Illinois is there, Missouri State. I think those are the four. And I think those are. I don't think there's massive gaps between those four teams, apart from North Dakota State and you and I. Yeah, North Dakota State, South Dakota State, Missouri State, Southern Illinois, Northern Iowa, and Northern Northern Iowa finished one vote behind Southern Illinois, one point behind Southern Illinois in the preseason poll. And the thing is, they're not playing North Dakota State this year. They played the three teams above them apart from North Dakota State. That's fine. I think you and I can beat the three teams that are above them. I think they really can. They beat South Dakota State in South Dakota last year. So I really don't think you and I should be fearing any of these opponents that are ranked above them because I think they can beat them. I think they can beat anybody. They beat they beat Southern Illinois last year. They lost Missouri State by seven points. Beat Southern Illinois and South Dakota State. South Dakota State on the road. And Missouri State, they lost to them by seven points on the road as well. Like, I don't think there's a big gap between you and I and the other teams in the Missouri Valley Football Conference. And you look at the teams below them in the conference, you got South Dakota, North Dakota, Illinois State, Youngstown State, Indiana State, and Western Illinois, who only got 44 votes, which is not surprising. But again, I still think you and I can finish around the 8-3, and 7-4 and four mark. I really think they can do that. I really think they can. I don't think that's out of the question for them. Their offense can stay somewhat consistent. That's all I'm really looking for, is for you and I's offense to just stay the course, to stay consistent, because the defense is good enough to win them games. They just need to score enough points for the defense to win games, because I think their offense is talented enough. They just need to figure out and get some consistency on there. Now, we got the Premier League coming up tomorrow, or Friday. We got Arsenal taking on Crystal Palace, which should be a very fun game. We got Chris Richards, United States International at center back for them. You've also got the likes of Matt Turner, who has made the transition over the Arsenal, which is, you know, I'm hit or miss with these United States goalkeepers going over and just being backups. He's going to be the backup to Aaron Ramsdell. Burned Leno just went to Fulham, which is a pretty big move. We'll talk about some other goalkeepers here in a little bit, but I'm really, 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 really excited for the Premier League to start tomorrow. It's going to be fun. Saturday is going to be an awesome day. Like, I remember, I remember when I was in uh, – in high school, and even a little bit younger. So we never had cable television growing up, like DirecTV, Dish Network, whatever. We never had that. So once the Premier League made that massive deal with NBC Sports, 
all the big games, like the early morning games, would be on NBC Sports Network, which isn't even a thing anymore. I think the Premier League's all in like Peacock and USA and all that stuff. They're still with NBC because those are NBC networks, but NBC Sports don't think is a thing anymore, which is kind of <laughs> kind of weird. But I would ride my bike over to my grandparents' house, which they didn't live too far. It was right down the Meredith, Meredith Drive from our house. So it was like, we'll get there. We'll get there in the morning. So I'd wake up at 6 o'clock or before that because Manchester United versus Swansea City was a big-time game that I had to watch at 6.30 in the morning. So I would text my grandparents the night before and go, hey, uh, I'm going to come over tomorrow morning to make sure the, dra- the garage door's unlocked. And I'll just walk in. I'll either go in the basement or I'll watch on the main level. But either way, just make sure the door's unlocked so I can watch the game. Like I would lose sleep for the first night of the Premier League season. You know how much I you know how much it would take for me to consistently get up before six o'clock on a Saturday morning to watch Manchester United versus Norwich or Manchester United versus Bournemouth or something like that? I couldn't do that anymore. I don't have that passion anymore that I used to do as a kid. I think that just happens when you get older, a lot of things start becoming stop becoming fun. Like that. That used to be fun. I used to really enjoy that, but also Manchester United are a lot more unwatchable than what they were at that point. But I am excited to see what Manchester United do under Eric Ten Hag this year. Ronaldo played in the preseason game on Sunday, but I don't know what the plan is for him. They're in talks to signing another striker from RB Salzburg, so we'll see if that move actually takes place. But if if we're being 100% honest, and we could have said this last year, like Ronaldo coming to Manchester United, for the emotional sense, was everything. Just to keep him, keep him away from Manchester City. That was all that really mattered. Just make sure Ronaldo does not go to Manchester City. But when you look at what Manchester United were trying to do, that kind of floored all their things they were trying to do, which is weird to say because Ronaldo is one of the greatest soccer players of all time. So when you think of adding one of the greatest soccer players of all time, you don't think of that they would be better as a team without him. But I think of what Eric Ten Hag wants to do and watching what they did in the preseason. If the season started, like when the season starts, Ronaldo's going to be on the bench. If that, like he ain't starting. Like Anthony Martial fits what Eric Ten Hag is wanting to do more at this point than what Ronaldo does. And you will look at what Bruno Fernandes does best. Bruno Fernandes likes playing balls over top and in behind. Ronaldo's not running onto those. 37-year-old Ronaldo is not running into that. Ronaldo will tap in any goal you want, but he ain't running on anything. So... It's intriguing. I'm very intrigued to see how Manchester United line up this year. They're still going to make some moves. Frankie de Jong's still up in the air about that. Don't know what's going to happen there. But Barcelona are still signing players, or at least still trying to sign players. Chelsea don't know what they're doing with their transfer moves, that they're going to get uh, uh, Fofana from Wesley Fofana from Leicester City. We'll see if that one that move actually materializes. But I didn't. I don't think we went over my official predictions for this upcoming season. But here we go. We're going to try and do this as uh, not quickly and as informative as we can be. So starting off the top two, I don't really think I need to do a lot of explaining here. It goes Manchester City 1, Liverpool 2. They're the two best teams in the Premier League by far. I don't really. I think there's a nice little gap there. And as long as Mohamed Salah is there, I get Sadio Mane left, and Sadio Mane is an integral part to this team. But Mohamed Salah is the main guy. Mohamed Salah, I was watching the video today. I think when it's all said and done, once his career is over in the Premier League, I think we could really be looking at as the greatest right winger in Premier League history. Like, there's not a lot of other players that you could say dominate that right wing. Like, Ronaldo in his prime was the right winger for Manchester United. You have David Beckham over there. You have, I'm for, I'm probably forgetting a bunch of people. Well, I know I'm definitely forgetting a lot of people, but who else am I forgetting? 
Like, well, that just shows. I can't think of any off the top of my head right now, but I think you can really look at that. And I think with Mane gone, you look at Liverpool's front line, Luis Diaz, Darwin Nunes, Diego Jota, Roberto Firmino, Salah, the, that's rolling around him. Darwin Nunes is going to take some time to adjust, you would imagine, but Salah's going to come out all far. I, I wouldn't be as surprised if he scored 30 goals this season. I think last Friday we said Harry Kane, Golden Boot, nah. I, I dawned on me like two days ago. I was like, why? The, I looked at my predictions. Like, why the hell did I have Harry Kane there? I think Harry Kane will be near the top if he's all healthy. But man, Salah by himself score. He's going to score thirty. You would imagine so. And Man City, it's just Man City. I really don't think Liverpool's got enough to beat them this year. I think Liverpool can compete to a certain extent, but they ain't challenging for the title. I think they can make it interesting on City for portions. And I get City lost like Raheem Sterling, but. Erling Holland, Julian Alvarez, Cal- they brought in Calvin Phillips as well to replace uh, Fernandinho. So if they ever need to spare Rodri at times, Calvin Phillips can come in. Calvin Phillips can also play center back. Like the depth, the players, like it's just, Man City's going to win the league. Third, Tottenham. Tottenham bringing in a lot of very nice players. They brought in Richarlison. They brought in Yves Basuma. They brought in Ivan Perisic. They've got players. Antonio Conte, I would imagine, is going to win Premier League manager of the season. I think of Tottenham finishing third. I think they could be somewhat close to these guys. I don't. I think there'll be probably a ten point difference between Liverpool and Tottenham at second and third. But I do think Tottenham will finish third. I like what Tottenham have done. I like Antonio Conte a lot. We'll see how they do. And then the top four through six, I don't know. I really don't know. Chelsea, Arsenal, and Manchester United. No idea. Absolutely no idea. I'm gonna go for my official prediction. Oh no. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Because you look at individual teams. We'll start with Arsenal because it's A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you know, you know the alphabet. So Arsenal, starting off with them, you look at the signings they made. They brought in Gabriel Jesus. They lost or let go of Alexander, Alexander Lacazette. They have Thomas Party there. They've made some signings from younger players as well. They brought in Alexander Shevchenko from Man City, which is a whatever move. He's kind of, he's going to be a versatile player. I don't think he's playing left back with Kieran Tierney there. But He could. He can pretty much play anywhere. Like, if you look at what he does for Ukraine versus what he did for Man City, he's playing left back for City. He's playing attacking midfielder in number eight position for Ukraine. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic to see what he runs there because if you look at their midfield options, we're talking about center midfielders, their depth is not great. Like, you lose Thomas Party, your depth is next to nothing, really. So I would imagine that's where they're going to try and play Alexander Shevchenko. We'll see how that works out. But defensively, Saliba's back. Hopefully he stays there long-term. Aaron Ramsdale played well last year. They're young attackers. You got Gabriel Martinelli, Martin Odegaard is the captain, Kaya Saka, Mel Smith Rowe. Like they've got talented pieces. Young, talented pieces. This is the year for Arsenal to I don't want to say take that step, because taking the step from fifth to fourth is not really a massive step, but it is a step in the right direction, I guess. Then you go with Chelsea. Chelsea let go of Lukaku, let him loaned him out to Inter Milan, because he never wanted to leave there. He made a mistake leaving Inter Milan. They don't really have any striker options. They brought in Raheem Sterling, which is, should be nice. Should be nice. They brought Kalidou Koulibaly in. Don't know what their other center back option is going to be because they do play that back three. They kept Marcus Alonso. Or, um, they kept, what's his name? Cesar Azpilicueta. They got him back on a two-year deal. They got Mark Cucurella. At least that's what the it sounds like. Is it official? Is Mark Cucurella a Chelsea? Is he a Chelsea player? I don't know if he's officially a Chelsea player or not. I saw links with him with Chelsea, Man City. I don't know where he's going to go, but that would be a big get for Chelsea and Man City regardless. But more for Chelsea. 
more for Chelsea. I think having him over Marcus Alonso, I don't know about Ben Chilwell, but that would be a center back option. Mark Cucurella did play in a back three somewhat last year for, for Brighton, so we could see that work out for them if that does materialize. And then Manchester United, they can't really be much worse than what they were last year, right? They brought in Christian Eriksen. They brought in Lissandra Martinez. They brought in Tyrell Malasia. They look like they're going to bring in Frankie de Jong. They've got all these moves planned. Anthony might be an option still. So we'll see what happens there, but it just needs to see how Eric Ten Hag's system goes in. And it's hard for me to judge Manchester United because my what I just watched in the preseason, they were awesome. That preseason was beautiful. They dominated every game, a part of the game against Atletico Madrid. They dominated those games. Palace, Villa, um, what was the Australian team they played? Was it Melbourne Victory? And what was the first team they played? They played one more team in there. I'm completely blanking on. I don't, I don't remember, but it looked awesome. So if I was going with my gut right now, just because they're Chelsea didn't really play that well last year. Arsenal got good late. They started off horrendously. Manchester United were really bad under a manager that did not seem to care in Ralph Rednick. And a lot of distractions. The distractions are gone. So I think it'll go Arsenal, Man United, Chelsea. That's I'm not confident in that at all. So do not like blast me for that. Seventh, they got West Ham. I just like West Ham. I, I like West Ham a lot. They brought in Scam- Gianluca Scamacha from Sassuolo. So I'm interested to see how he does. I don't... It's kind of weird to judge these Italian strikers because every time they seem to make a move to a bigger league, like a league outside Serie A, they struggle. Chiro Mobile is one of the best strikers in the world for Lazio, but you put him on Borussia Dortmund, he did next to nothing. Like it's very, It seems like it's very rare to see these center forwards from Italy just ball out right after they make a move. And he's wearing the number, number seven jersey, but he fits what West Ham does. He's a big shithouse kind of guy elbows everywhere. So I'm excited to see what he does there. But I I like to, I like West Ham. I like West Ham a lot. I think they'll finish 7th. I think they got a good thing going there. And then we got 8th. I'm going to go with Newcastle. I like the moves they made. Nothing really splashy, but moves that will definitely improve their squad. They brought in Nick Pope, they brought in Sven Botman, Kieran Trippier's back and hopefully all the way back and healthy. They also brought in who else? They brought in Matt Target back. Bruno Gomares is still there. Dan Burns still there. There are talks with bringing Lucas Pocketa to play center midfield there. Like I like, and Eddie Howe got them playing very, very well last year. If Callum Wilson can stay healthy, I think they can do. I think they can do well. I think they can do well. Maybe I'm over exaggerating how good I think they could be, but I like what they did in the transfer window. Smaller moves, but nice moves in the in the in hindsight. Number nine, we got Aston Villa. I like the moves they made. They made Philippe Coutinho's move. Permanent, they brought in Diego Carlos from Sevilla. Nice center back option. They brought in Ludwig and Augustinson from Sevilla on loan at left back. They still got Lucas Digne there. Uh, Robin Olsen is the backup to Emiliano Martinez. I like the moves they made. I really think they brought in Bubakar Kamara as a holding midfielder option from Marseille. John McGinn's still there. Like I, I like what they got. I like what Aston Villa got. I was high on them last year. Dean Smith and Co. started off very, very bad. Emi Boudia, I expect him to be better than he was last year. Same thing I go for, where's he at? Danny Ings did not really play that well last year in comparison to what he was doing at Astonville or at Southampton the season, the two seasons prior. Like he scored seven goals in all competitions. The previous two seasons, he scored 13 and 25. So I expect Danny Ings to get better than what he was last year. But Aston Villa, I like what they got. I like Jacob Ramsey a lot. I think they got a good thing going there. I think they'll finish ninth, 10th place. I got Wolves. Wolves finished, I think, 10th place last year as well. Didn't really do a lot of insane, insane moves. 
this offseason, but they did bring back Adama Traore, who kind of struggled in his time at Barcelona, which was a weird move regardless. But I think they'll be I, – I like, I like Wolves a lot. I shouldn't say a lot, but I do like Wolves. They were playing really well as the season progressed. Last year they started off a little rough, weren't scoring goals at all. I expect that to improve quite a bit. So I have them coming in at number 10. Number 11, I have – I kind of flipped back and forth between this and two other teams, but I have Crystal Palace. I like what Patrick Vieira's got there. they got a good, solid, young team. Eberechi Ezi is going to be back and fully healthy. They brought in Chris Richards. they got Czech Dekure from uh, – uh, what's this team? What's this team called? Lens. Lens, who was linked with some big teams this past offseason. So I'm excited to see what he does in the Premier League. But the moves from the French League, kind of the same thing with Serie A, but the moves from the French League to the Premier League sometimes don't always work out. Mark Guehi's there from Chelsea was a nice player last year. I expect him to continue that this year. Joaquin Anderson's still there. I like them. I like I like Crystal Palace. I normally don't like Crystal Palace, but I like what the, the young players they're building around right here. LeBron Sam Johnstone as well. Jack Butland, who are <laughs> supposed to be the two top dogs in England. for a <laughs> Now they're backups on Crystal Palace, which is just funny how that all worked out. Uh, number 12 is Brighton and Hove Albion. I like their offense. You look at what Graham Potter's got there, a very exciting brand of soccer. You got Tarek Lamptey, Mark Cucurella is still technically there. Adam Webster and Lewis Dunk are really nice center back partnership. Yeah, I just like this team. They're a nice together unit. They haven't made a ton of moves in the transfer window, at least from my knowledge. I could be forgetting someone completely, but they're a nice consistent unit. Very consistent. Robert, Robert Sanchez, very nice goalkeeper. Number 13 is Leicester. I don't know what to make of Leicester this year. I heard something today that they could be that team that gets relegated that no one expected at the beginning of the year, and that honestly wouldn't surprise me. They're linked with moves away from Yuri Tielemans. James Madison's been linked with Newcastle. Yuri Tielemans has been linked with Arsenal and Manchester United. And Casper Schmeichel is gone playing for Nice, which came out of freaking nowhere. I saw a freaking Fabrizio Romano tweet that out. I was like, wait, 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 wait. what? Casper Schmeichel's leaving the Premier League for Lens. Or Nice. Nice. He's leaving for Nice. So if you look at what Leicester City have, they don't have anybody. Daniel Iverson and Danny Ward are the two goalkeepers they have. And if, which looked likely, James Madison and Yuri Tielemans leave, they're screwed. They are screwed. But hey, people have doubted this team before, so maybe maybe they surprise everybody again, but they do not. Their roster right now especially with the moves that could happen with players getting linked away with James Madison linked with Newcastle, New York Teals and Arsenal. Good Lord. It could, it could go downhill for Leicester city 14 Everton. I refuse to believe Everton will be as bad as what they were last year. I really believe I have a hard time really believing that. I know they lost for Charleston, but they did bring in freaking Dwight McNeil. Who's kind of been up and down his time in the premier league for Burnley. He's taken over the number seven Jersey. Anthony Gordon's taken over the number 10, Delhi Alley's moved back to his familiar number 20 jersey. And they brought in James Tarkovsky, which will definitely improve the center backs. I really have a hard time believing this team will be worse than what they were last year. And they're talking about bringing Idrissa Gay back. Big move for them if they can get him back in the center of the park. They'll be better than what they were last year. They will definitely be better. I don't, I, don't. They might be toying with relegation at points, but I like them too much to have them all the way down in the Premier League. Now, 16 and 17, I've kind or not 16, 17, 15 and 16, I've kind of toyed around with. This one's been kind of difficult for me on who I think will be at this spot, and I might change it. I might change it. Hold on. Let me do some quick calculations real quick. 
Uh, we're going to have Southampton <laughs> at 15. So Southampton is not a no amazing team. They don't really have a lot of things going for them right now. Adam Armstrong did not really live up to what he expected on moving from the championship to the Premier League. But they did make some moves. Joe Aribo coming in from Rangers was a nice player for Rangers for a few seasons. <laughs> Tina Levermento is a nice right back option. They also got Kyle Walker's Peters who could play both right and left back. Stuart Armstrong is a decent player. Che Adams is decent. Yeah, the goalkeeping situation is not great. Their defense isn't great either, but I think they'll manage to stay up. I like James Ward-Prowse a lot. And then we've got 16. I'm going to go with Leeds United. They brought in all the Americans. They brought in Tyler Adams. They brought in Brendan Aronson. Jesse Marsh is still there as the manager. Let's see how they do. Let's see how they do. They've got a young team. Their defense stinks, which is a problem because they didn't really do a whole lot to improve that. They improved their midfield. But in regards to the defense, it's still not very good. It's still pretty bad. So let's see how they are managing that this year. They could go down. I really could see a real I, – I think there's a real possibility they go down. I really think there's a strong chance. Number 17, I've got Nottingham Forest. They've made a lot of moves this offseason. Compared to the other championship teams, I think they've made the most moves. And, yeah, like you brought in Omar Richards, got him from Bayern Munich. You've got – uh, Dean Henderson in for Manchester United. Wayne Hennessy's in. Jesse Lingard came in. Like they are making moves to try and stay up. They, they brought Nico Williams as well. Like they've got they've got players, young players. They can hopefully try and build around, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. But I think they can manage to stick in the Premier League. Eighteen. I've got Fulham. Fulham just are the yo-yo team that just keep, pretty much has come up, come right back down, even though they dominated in the championship. They had 106 goals last year. They had a plus 63 goal difference last year. And I still think they're going to go down. You look at some of the moves they made. They brought in Burned Leno. Everything else, though, I'm not really that confident in. They brought in Kevin Moabu from freaking Wolfsburg. But that's that's pretty much it. Rodrigo Muniz, did he come over this year? No, he was there last year. Mitrovic just can't seem to score in their top level. Like, if you look at what he's done for Fulham. Like, <laughs> so, Cha Premier League, he scored 11. Championship, 26. Premier League, 3. Championship, 43. And then now we got this year. So, it's just the difference in goal scoring from him going to the Premier League to the Championship is massive. And when they don't have his goals, it's going to be big. It's going to be very big. Hopefully, he can stay consistent and score enough goals to keep them up. They're also John Jao Palena. From Sporting, who was linked with Wolves, who was linked with Manchester United. So we'll see how they do, but I have them going down. Number 19, I have Brentford. I don't know. I mean, they it was a nice story. Small, really small team. But I don't know if they'll be managing the staff. They brought in Ben Mee this year for defensive purposes. Hopefully that will help them. But I'm not sitting here and saying I'm the most confident in Brentford. I think the bottom, what, 15 through 20 could get relegated. I think you're looking at Southampton, Leeds, Nottingham Forest, Fulham, Brentford, and then Bournemouth. I think Bournemouth are guaranteed to come last. But everything, I don't really need to talk about Bournemouth. They did, they've made no moves. They've, they're have they coming in last. But I think those bottom five, bottom six teams, I think all of those are linked with relegation. I really think there's a reality where Leeds could get relegated. I really think there's a reality where Fulham stay up. But Brentford was hard. Brentford was a hard prediction for me, but... Yeah, I'm going to have them going down. I like Brentford. I like their story. I like what they're doing. But 
I just have them going. I have them going down. I have them going down. And then for awards, we have Mohamed Salah, Golden Boot, Golden Gloves, Ederson, Manager of the Season, Antonio Conte. Player of the season, Kevin De Bruyne. Young player of the season, I think it's got to be Holland or Julian Alvarez from City. One of those two. It, you'd have to imagine it's one of those guys. But yeah, I think that's all I've got for you on this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I'm really sorry that we missed out on Wednesday's show, but I'm glad we're back. Well, hopefully the Hall of Fame game was a fun watch. Hopefully you're ready for some Premier League football to start up again. And hopefully you're ready for some NFL football to start up again with all these offseason allegations and stuff. I'm just ready for football season to actually be here. I'm excited for college football as well. It's going to be fun. Football's here. We're in the month of August. Let's freaking go. And with that being said, hopefully you enjoyed the show. If you did not, I greatly apologize. We'll probably be better next time. Again, make sure you follow the Logan Blackman Show on all forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and, of course, you're listening to it right now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hope you enjoyed it. Leave a rating on five stars. And I will see you all next time. Peace.